appreciate the ladies coming down again from Galahar coming down to sing for us. And uh, let's do be prayerful for Brother Jerry tonight as he go. I started to raise my hand that I'd volunteer and go with him. And uh, maybe you could let Brother Jimbo preach or somebody else. But uh, I do, do appreciate all of you coming tonight. And uh, Brother Ramey, Brother Tim's in revival in Knoxville. We need to pray for him. There's a lot of other meetings going on. And uh, I just pray that God will help us tonight and uh, speak to our hearts. And uh, on last Friday and last Saturday night, I tried to preach on heaven, heaven as the uh, home of the saved, heaven as the home of the saved. And we, we dealt about heaven and looked at it. Tonight, I want to preach on hell, hell, the home of the sinner, hell, the home of the sinner. And I'll not say anything tonight that you've not already heard, not already been told. I cut this out of the Knoxville New Sentinel paper. This was several, several years ago. And I want to read this before I read the scriptures. And it's, uh, it's entitled, it says here, Church Historian Sees Decline in Belief in Hell as a Modern Tread. And it says here, Church Historian, calls him his name, sees a decline in the belief in hell among contemporary Christians. And says that may not be such a bad thing. He said this University of Chicago Divinity School professor said one of the great events in history is the decline of hell. He said also that uh, it is a, is a decline that is matched if not surpassed among most Protestants with the exception of some fundamentalist. He said whose preaching of hell. He said is reserved for secular humanist and Soviet communist, not for the nice people in the congregation or on the other side of the tube of the television. He also made this statement. He said that, uh, he said this, he said they believe, they, believers, are shocked to hear what their parents were taught. He said, what he's saying here is that the young believers today are shocked to hear what their parents were taught about hell. He said such fudging on the notion of hell, fire, and brimstone could be found as early as 1952 when there was a poll that was taken when about 42% of the American people did not believe in hell and few who saw it as a threat to them. He said some religious thinkers will link with psychologists and tell you that eternal hell declined because temporal ones are sufficiently effective. He cites adding nuclear hell, loneliness, and alienation, uh, talking about that being a, a picture of hell. Now, this is a church historian who is a professor at the University of the Chicago Divinity School. And that was, that was almost, that's a little over 10 years ago that I clipped it out of the paper. And uh, they, they don't believe in hell anymore. People don't believe in hell. And a lot of our religious people don't believe in hell. And uh, one of the modern-day evangelists, one of the great so-called evangelists of our day, does not believe in a literal burning hell. And, but i tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to take what the Bible says. I'm going to take what God's Word says over every other man. And uh, the Bible has much to say about the subject of hell. And I'm not here to bore you tonight, and I hope the message will not be a boredom to you if you're saved by the grace of God. I remember one night, and, and it was ironic that Brother Ed Blue was here with us last night. I remember going down to Brother Bill Harvey's and uh, I heard Brother Ed Blue preach on hell that night, and uh, he preached, and people began to get saved. I mean, on every side, people were getting saved, and some began to even shout. They began to shout on a message on hell. Why they were shouting, you know why they were shouting? Because they really realized they wasn't going to have to go. And another time, I heard Brother Charles Lawson. I heard Brother Lawson preach at Brother Bill Harvey's, and he preached on hell. And that night, people began to shout and rejoice that they were not going to have to go to hell. Amen. Now, this ought to do two things for us tonight. If you're here lost without the Lord Jesus, I trust that the Spirit of God will let you see where you're going to spend eternity if you die without Christ. And no doubt in a congregation this size, there's probably somebody here tonight that's lost, maybe even religious and lost. And then for those of us that are saved by the grace of God, May it stir our hearts. May it stir our souls for sinners once again. I left here last night, and I was driving back home by myself, and I'm trying to find a vehicle for our family, another car, 
And I'd called a certain young man yesterday afternoon, talked to him on the phone. He said, I'll be there at 1030. And then I, I was driving up toward Knoxville, and I thought, man, it's late, and I have to go way out there off of Western Avenue, and that's a bad part of town. And uh, I thought that's probably just an old ragged-out car. It ain't worth looking at no way. But it seemed like the Spirit of God nudged my heart and said, son, you just go on. I want you to go on, and maybe just maybe what I need to do, I thought, was just witness to the boy. And when I got there, sure enough, he come out, and the old car was just an old ragged-out car. wasn't worth anything. And uh, I began to talk to him. And uh, he said, preacher, I told him that I was a preacher. I said, I've been down in Dayton, Tennessee, preaching revival. He said, preacher, he said, my life's in a mess. He said, I'm in a mess. And I could tell he'd been drinking a little bit. He said, I come in from work. He said, I'm a construction worker. He said, what I try to do is drink four or five beers. Then he said, I'll take two or three Benadryls. And he said, I hope that'll knock me out enough to where I can go to sleep. He said, my whole life is in a mess. He began to tell me how his wife left him just a few months ago with three children, and they walked away from him. Told me how he got shot recently with a 12-gauge shotgun. And I'm talking about this boy's been rough. I mean, rough as they come. And I stood there and I said, son, it's no accident that I'm here tonight. And I said, I'll tell you what you need. I said, you know what you need? And he said, preacher, he said, I probably need God. And I began to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I began to tell him that there was a better way than the way he was living. And I, I, last night as I pulled out of that driveway, my heart began to break again. And I began to think about people that are lost all around us and dying and going to hell. And I pray tonight that the Spirit of God might take this message and work in our hearts and help us. I want to read the very, very familiar passage in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. And be mindful that this is the Lord Jesus that's preaching this sermon. This is our blessed Lord that's giving us this story that's before us here. And Jesus said in verse 19, he said, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Did you see what the Bible said? And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now you be mindful, the last time he saw Lazarus, Lazarus was laying at his gate full of sores, sores, maybe like an open ulcers on his body. And now the rich man is begging Abraham, asking him to let Lazarus come and, and dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. He said, for I am tormented in this flame. Now that's enough right there to establish the truth that, that when you die, death does not end at all, friend. You just don't die like a dog and that's the end of it. I've heard men say, well, I'll just die and that'll be it. I'll die and it'll all be over with. That's not true, friend. There's life after death, and you're going to spend eternity. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven because you've been saved by the grace of God, or in hell because you rejected God's salvation. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father. Notice the rich man's praying now. The rich man is praying in hell. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, speaking unto Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And what he's saying is, what he's saying in verse 29, Abraham said they have Moses. In other words, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. They have, the, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the scriptures is what he's saying. He said, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he knew. He knew why he was in hell, friend. He knew why he was in hell. He said, if somebody goes back from the dead, he said, my five brothers will surely repent. And that's why he was in hell, friend. He never repented. He never got saved by the grace of God. And the Bible said in verse 31, and he said unto him, Abraham said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that the one rose from the dead. And I want to preach tonight with the help of God, and I've tried to pray and spent the day at the house and not been out much, and I didn't go to the preacher's fellowship. It was at Jim's church and Brother Jim's church, and they had a good meeting there, but I've tried to just spend some time alone with God today and think about this message, and I pray that God would speak to our hearts. I want to preach on hell, the home of the sinner. Hail the home of the sinner. And as I preach tonight, I want you to think about your loved ones and your family members and brothers and sisters and mothers and dads and maybe children that are not saved. And we need to get this focus back on our minds again. Now, you know what the devil wants to do? The devil, I'm telling you, he wants us to stray away from the message of preaching on hell. And uh, hellfire and damnation preaching uh, is almost a thing of the past. Did you know that? I mean, really, you don't hear many preachers preaching uh, and thundering across the pulpits uh, that there is a literal hell uh, that sinners are going to have to die and go to uh, if they die without Christ. And I'm going to be honest to you. I've got to thinking about my own messages and the meetings that I'm in. And it seems like it seems like the last few years that God has put it in my heart to try to be a blessing to the church and, and try to help churches that are struggling and, and help the Christians. And I believe that's as much a part of revival as anything else. But I believe in this meeting, uh, we've stepped over into a little different area. And God has begun to deal with sinners. Uh, and he's begun to speak to sinners uh, and to awaken sinners of their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what modern theology has done today? It's, it's ice-watered hell. It's ice-watered hell. And it's air-conditioned hell. And hell today is just a byword. I mean, they use it on the job where you work. You hear it all the time. I mean, you hear it if you watch television. You hear it. If you listen to the radio much, you'll hear it there. I mean, it's a byword. And people give it no real thought. I mean, they just don't think much about hell. And in the last few years, even the rock and roll entertainers, the, the, the group, there was a group called the Eagles, and they used to sing a song about a good day in hell. A good day in hell. There never has been a good day in hell, friend. And then later on, there was another rock and roll group. That it was in, they were entitled ACDC. And that group, Bon Scott, was the lead singer at that time. And they wrote a song entitled The Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell. And I mean, friend, it was a wicked song. And there was the power and the influence of Satan upon that song. And in that song, it said, Hey, Mama, look at me. I'm on the, I'm on the way to the promised land. I'm on the highway. Way, the highway to hell. I mean, that's what they were singing about. And you know, then that song it said, No speed limits, no stop signs, nobody gonna turn me around. I'm on my way, I'm on my way to the highway to hell. And then it said, Hey, Satan, pay my dues, pay it on a rocking band on the highway to hell. And young people rode around in their cars and listened to that music and what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to take the sting and he's trying to take the reality out of a place that the Bible calls hell. Now, I'm telling you, the scriptures are emphatic, friend, that there is a literal, burning, godless, waterless place called hell. 
It's not a figment of man's imagination. It's not preachers trying to use psychology to get people all stirred up and worked up into a frenzy. But hell is a reality. A reality, friend. And you get to reading in this Bible, you'll find as you study the Scriptures that the Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, He preached more on hell than He did on heaven. You'll find that the, you'll find the word hell 31 times in the Old Testament, and the equivalent of the word hell 23 times in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, 16 of the 23 times, you know whose lips it fell from? It fell from the lips of the darling Son of God. He preached more on hell than he did on heaven, and the reason was he didn't want people to go there. He didn't didn't want anybody to have to die and go to hell. Now, sooner or later, you listen, the, the lady sung tonight, and I appreciate her testimony. She said she couldn't have sung that song before last Thursday night. In reality, not afraid to die, not afraid to die. But you listen, you're going to die, friend. You and I are going to die if Jesus doesn't come soon. Uh, you say, preacher, I'm going to live forever. Uh, young people, it's hard to get them to see that. It's hard for them to see that they're going to die one day. But you go out there in the cemetery and visit it, friend. Uh, you'll find there's the young people's graves. Uh, you look at the dates when they are born, the dates when they died. Uh, you'll find infants. You'll find little babies. Uh, you'll find teenagers. Uh, I'm telling you, the Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. You're going to have to die, friend. You're born to die. You're born to die. The very moment that you were born and come into this world, that death started stalking your trail. And death is marching behind every one of us. Somewhere out there around the corner, somewhere there's only a step, David said, between me and death. Death is out there. Death is lingering somewhere out there. I tell you, I left here the other night, headed back home, and there was an awful, awful wreck right up the road up here. A pickup truck hit sideways and the ambulance was there but there wasn't any lights on. I'm afraid whoever was in that vehicle probably died. I mean, you never know, friend, when death it's go, hey, has crawled up into your car. Uh, you never know when death's going to be waiting on you at the house. Uh, you never know when you're going to die. And you better be ready to meet God. You better be prepared, friend. Uh, you better be saved by the grace of God. Because death is coming. Death is coming. I was dating a young girl many, many years ago. I mean, what was really my first experience with death? I was dating a young girl. Her name was Teresa Kinzer. And Teresa was the homecoming queen there at Farragut High School. And she and I had been dating for several, several months. I was working on an old car. I'd got off from work. I was over there at Rocky Hill. Here come my dad pulling in. My dad was the preacher. My dad come pulling in. Tears was running down his eyes, Brother Chris. But he got out of the car and said, come here, son. I walked over there and he said, I've got some bad news, son. He said, sit down here. I said, Daddy, is it Mother? I said, Daddy, is, is it Jimbo? Is it Sue? I knew something was really bad. He said, son, sit down. He said, they've just called the house and they, he said that Teresa and her mother, Betty, have both been killed in an automobile accident. Listen, a big old Trailways bus there at Lovell Road there in Knoxville. They'd pulled out in front of that bus and that bus hit them. And both the mother and the daughter went out into eternity. I mean, just like that. And I tell you, that was really the first touch of death in my life. And I didn't like the way it felt, losing somebody that I cared about. Hey, you see 16-year-old girls die. Mothers die. Grandmothers and granddaddies die. Death is coming. And when death comes, you mark this down, friend. It's going to seal your death destiny. It's going to stop your deeds. It'll seal your destiny and stop your deeds when it comes. That's right. 
I'm telling you, now you, you pray. I, I knew the devil was going to fight tonight, and I knew there's going to be opposition. But I'm afraid somebody's sitting in this building that's on their way to a devil's hell. And please try to listen tonight. God help you. God help you to discipline yourself to try to listen tonight. When death comes, it'll stop your deeds. It'll settle your decisions. And it'll seal your destiny. Uh, there's no time to repent after you die. There's no purgatory to go to. Uh, I mean, there's no holding compartment uh, where somebody can pray you out uh, or pay enough to get you out. Uh, if you die lost, you'll open your eyes uh, in a Christless eternity. You'll open your eyes in hell. In hell. Now, as I get to thinking about this tonight, you say, number one, preacher, where's the proof of hell? Where is the proof of a literal burning hell? You know, a lot of people, that's how they've got to have it. They want the proof. They want you to show them in a mathematical equation. They want you to show them through a slide rule. Some way, give them some documented proof. Well, I'm going to tell you right here's all the proof I need. It's God's Word. God said it, and that settles it, friend. Whether I believe it or you believe it or anybody else believes it. I've met agnostics. I've met some that say they're atheists, and they say, I don't believe in hell. I've heard the arguments of people. They say God's such a good God, such a loving God that he wouldn't send nobody to hell and everybody will be saved in the end. No, they won't, friend. I'm telling you, you read that Bible. The wicked that die unsaved are going to go to hell. Now the proof of hell is found right there in the Word of God over and over and over. Psalms 9.17 said the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. That's what the psalmist said. I get to reading in other places over and over again that there is a literal burning hell. You say, preacher, the proof of it. I find it in the Word of God. But not only that, somebody said, preacher, where is hell? Where is hell? You know where I believe hell is? According to this Bible, I believe hell is right beneath you. The Bible said hell is moved from beneath thee to meet thee at thy coming. Now, if hell is moved from beneath us right here in Dayton County, and if hell is moved from beneath that man in Australia, and if hell is moved from beneath that man at the North Pole, that tells me one thing. Hell is in the heart of this earth. And I believe that. I believe that with all I have to believe with. And every now and then God, it says God will grab one of these volcanoes and he'll mash that thing. And his omnipotent hand will mash that little volcano. And out will come spewing the lava and the ash. And God's trying to tell this world, you better wake up. There's a literal burning hell in the heart of this earth. That's right. They, the scientists even tell us that, that the, the, the core of this thing, the core of this earth is molten lava, red hot lava, friend. I believe hell's in the heart of this earth. Yes, sir. That's where it was right here. I'm telling you, when that rich man died, in hell he lifted up his eyes and he was on one side of paradise. At that time in Luke, in what Jesus is talking about in Luke 16, paradise was divided into two compartments. On one side was the hell fire side and on the other side was the Abraham's bosom and the believers were over there and there was a great gulf that separated from the fire side and Abraham bosom. But when Jesus Christ died, the Bible said he led captivity captive and he brought out all of those that were believers. And I believe hell just moved over and swallowed up paradise. And it's there. It's there tonight. It's in the heart of this earth. And it's waiting on the sinners. Waiting on the sinners. 
That Bible teaches us. You say anywhere else in the Bible, preacher? The scripture talks about in Numbers chapter 16. You remember that story when Korah and 250 men of renown rose up against the man of God. They rose up against Moses. And they said, Moses, you take too much authority on you. Moses said, all right, if you all die a natural death, then I'm not the man of God. I say I am. But if some strange thing happened unto you and the earth opened up her mouth and swallow you down alive he said then you'll know I'm the man of God and you know what that Bible said in number 1632 and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and they went down alive into the pit I'm telling you they went to hell alive friend into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished Dr. Percy Ray said right here is a crowd he said they went to hell with their shirt tail flapping in the breeze they went to hell friend the earth just opened up and swallowed them up alive they went to hell went to hell the proof scientists tell us that the earth's crust the earth's crust in the thinnest place is 11 miles and the thickest place of the earth's crust is 18 miles so I believe it would be safe to say you're somewhere between 11 and 18 miles from hell. You're somewhere between 11 to 18 miles from hell. Hell may not, hey, listen to me, sinner. Hell may be, not be so far away as you think. Hell may not be so far away as you think. You've heard these stories told. And I, rem- I remember hearing Dr. J. Harold Smith tell this. He was preaching in that tent meeting. He was preaching those old-time messages of judgment underneath that tent. And there were some young boys come in. And they come in to get some girls in that tent meeting. And he went back there and he was trying to witness to them and talk to them about their souls. And they laughed at him and said, Man of God, we don't need you and we don't believe in hell. And to hell with you is what they said. And this tent too. And they got those girls, got in the car. They went less than a mile down the road. And they missed the curve. Flipped that car over and every one of them Every one of them died that night. Hell was just a mile or a mile and a half down the road. Are you listening to me? I know this for a fact. Are you listening to me, Brother Billy Kelly? The, brother, the late evangelist Billy Kelly, I heard him tell this. I heard him tell it in person when he was a young preacher there in Knoxville after he got saved and started preaching. Went to Carson Newman College for a little while. He was called to the bedside of a man that was dying there in the Knoxville Hospital. And he was called there and the family wanted Brother Billy to pray. And this man was a lost man. This man was an unsaved man. He'd been a wicked man, an ungodly man. Brother Billy said, I got down and tried to pray. He said, I tried to pray. And he said, I was praying that God would speak to him and God would convict him. And he said, as sure as he was standing there talking, Brother Billy said, God, the Holy Ghost said, don't you pray no more you get up off your knees this man's a going to hell and brother Billy said he said he'd never had that strange feeling come over him he said he didn't know what to do and he couldn't even pray and he got up and he said that man began to scream that man began to scream I'm a going to hell I'm a going to hell I'm a going to hell and he died I'm going to tell you what would be going on in a lot of these hospitals if they didn't have everybody sedated, if they didn't have everybody on morphine and, and Demerol and, and have them so sedated, you'd hear a lot of things, friend. You'd hear a lot of things. You'd hear a lot of things. And I remember Dr. J. Harold Smith also telling, he was preaching in a revival meeting. They called him and the pastor to come. And they went to a rich man's house. A wealthy man in that community was dying. The doctors had said he was going to die, probably die that night. And some of the family was saved. And they wanted Brother J. Harold to come and that pastor to come. And they wound up the road uh, leading to that big old stately house. Uh, and J. Harold Smith said, you could hear that man screaming. Uh, plumb out in the driveway. He was dying, dying, friend, dying. And when they got in there, they said that man had so scooted up in the bed and put his head against the headboard that literally his hair was embedded in the headboard and he was dying. And what he was saying was, my feet's in the fire. My feet's in the fire. I'm dying. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. Dr. J. Harold Smith said he watched that man die and slip off into hell. I'm going to tell you, hell's a reality for him. 
hell's a reality. We'd rather not think about it. We'd rather not face it. We'd rather just push it in the back of our mind somewhere and go on our merry way and enjoy life. But people that die without Christ, people that die without Jesus, are going to hell. Are going to hell. Going to hell. Not only the proof of hell, I think about the pathway to hell. The path to hell. Did you know there's a well-worn, there's a well-trodden path that leads off into hell. Now if you're planning on going to hell, sir, if you're planning on going to hell, young lady, mother or dad, and you say, I'm not going to repent, I'm not going to get right, I'm just going to go on to hell, you won't have no problem finding it. It's a well-worn path that's been trodden by many, many people. And what's sad, the sad truth is that the Bible said straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. But the Bible said broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. Broad, the broad way, the broad way leads into hell. And, and right there in Matthew chapter number 7, uh, you've got to understand, he's not dealing with harlots uh, and reprobates. Uh, he's talking about religion right there. And he's talking about the broad way. You see, they, they were saying, come this way, come this way. It was broad and open. And there wasn't no need to repent. There wasn't no need to turn from your sin. Just come this way. But the broad way leads to destruction. About every town I've ever been in, usually there's a broad way. There's a Broadway. In Knoxville, Tennessee, there's a highway there at the house. There's a highway named Broadway. I'm telling you, the pathway to hell is a broad way. Are you listening to me? Now the Bible said that there's a way, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Now there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. I've heard, and I said this the other night, and I don't mean to offend nobody, I've heard grandmothers tell their children, well, honey, long as you're sincere, darling, long as you're sincere, and Jesus knows your little heart, and as long as you're sincere, that's all that counts. I'm going to tell you again, the Mormons are sincere, the Jehovah Witnesses are sincere, the Moonies, the Hare Krishna movement, every one of them are sincere, but they're sincerely deceived, and they're lost. By their own testimony, they're lost path that leads to hell is a well-worn, trodden path. You say, who's on that path, preacher? Does the Bible tell us who's walking down that path? Now listen to me. I'm going to give you three or four that's on this road to hell. Number one, the blind. The bl and I'm not talking about physically handicapped people that cannot see. But I'm talking about those that are blind spiritually. You see, the Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, the Bible said it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ should shine into their hearts. The devil, the devil has sinners blinded. The devil has them blinded. He shows them the bright lights of sin. He shows them a good time. And he tries to tell those that are being raised in church, you're not, you're not having a good time. Mom and daddy's too narrow. They're too straight. As soon as you get 18 or 19, you can cut a trail and do your own thing. And the devil wants to blind people. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If people really believed in hell, are you listening to me? If people really believed in hell... I believe they'd be wanting to get saved. Amen. I mean, if they really believed that, that there was a hell, I believe they'd want to get saved. And the reason they don't believe is because the devil's got them blinded. The old timers said the devil's got the wool pulled over their eyes. And the old timers said the devil's got them hoodwinked hoodwinked and the devil's got the blindfolders over the sinner's eyes and he, all he can see is the bright lights and the good time and he can't see the finality he can't see his eternal destiny the blind I want to say this too the devil's got a lot of religious people blinded the devil has a lot of and I mentioned this the other night the devil doesn't care how he takes you to hell he doesn't play fair you listen 
He doesn't play fair, friend. If it takes drugs and liquor and alcohol and, and immorality and dope and gambling, and, hey, He'll provide every bit of that. He'll give you every bit of that to take you to hell. But you know what He'd rather do? And I believe this. He is so cunning. He is so crafty. He'd rather take you to hell right off a church pew. He'd rather take you to hell right off a church pew. And the only thing I know worse than dying and going to hell would be to face death and press a dying pillar and think I'm going to wake up in heaven and when that silver cord was cut and death had taken you out, you would lift up your eyes in hell. How horrible. How horrible. The path that leads to hell, the blind. Not only the blind are on that path, but the busy. Listen to me, the busy. You ever met such a busy generation? Everybody's busy today. I mean, we're just about too busy to have revivals anymore. And I know how it is. And I know how people are hectic work schedules. And this is a fast-paced, moving society we live in. But about everybody you meet, they're so busy. They're so busy. But hey, if you're too busy to take time out for Christ, if you're too busy to get saved, friend, you're just too busy. You talk to people about coming to church and they'll give you every, I'm just too busy, preacher. I mean, they'll say, I, I, I'm off. Sunday's my only day off. Sunday's my day of relaxation. Uh, Sunday's the day I spend with my family. Uh, I hear all kinds of excuses. People are too busy. Too busy. Too busy. It's a money mad, money mad, money crazed society we live in. And they're digging and they're working two jobs and three jobs and she's working and he's working and they're digging and digging and trying to gain and gain and gain. And the Bible said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? If he could gain the whole world and all the wealth in the world, what would it profit you if you lost your own soul? That's the truth. Too busy. Luke 12, you have the parable of the rich fool. He was too busy. Too busy! He said, I'm going to have to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And Jesus said, this night, thou fool, shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be? So he was too busy. I think about in Luke 14, verse 16 through 24, the parable of the Great Supper. And they were all too busy. One said, I bought a, a piece of ground. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. Another one said, I've married a wife. And they were all too busy. Too busy. Is that not, the, what, you, is that not what you hear when you knock on doors and talk to people? Too busy. Too busy. And what's sad, I'm afraid we've got too busy. What it is with us, we're not too busy. We've got too lazy. We don't pass out the tracks we used to pass out. We don't talk to people about their souls like we used to talk to them. And I'm, I'm saying we, and I'm standing here saying that I'm guilty tonight. I sometimes don't carry the burden that I used to carry for souls. Too busy. You know what's going to be sad? You don't want to be sad. At the great white throne judgment, if God let me one night, I might preach on that. But can you imagine at the great white throne judgment when sinners are going to be cast in the lake of fire? And there's somebody you work beside of. There's somebody you live beside. There's somebody you went to school with. There's somebody you knew. And they look up in the balconies of heaven and they see you and they say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Talked about politics. We talked about sports. We talked about our lawns and fishing and hunting. Why in the name of God didn't you tell me about Jesus? Oh, too busy. And not only the busy, not only you find the busy and the blind, but there's another crowd. And I call them, I call them the brainy, the brainy, the intellectual crowd. There's an, there's an intellectual crowd today, well-educated. I mean refined. I'm talking about, I mean, I mean geniuses in their mind, but they're fools, as it were, concerning the things of God. I mean, the Bible said that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, this, I don't care how high their IQ is. I don't care if it's 200 plus. If a man said there's no God, he's a fool. He's a simpleton. He's ignorant. 
to say there is no God. He's lacking in understanding. The blind, the brainy. I thought about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. The reason is that no flesh should glory in his presence. But God takes the base things of this world and he confounds the wise. I remember many years ago, Brother Donnie Cameron. Brother Donnie Cameron was on the police department there at Knoxville, Tennessee. We were members of the same church, and we were out on visitation. And we went up toward UT, went up there on the campus of UT, knocking on apartment doors, and we were witnessing. I remember knocking on this certain apartment door in an apartment complex, and as a young man came and opened the door, he had a stack of books on his table, and his glasses were down on his nose, and, and he just looked like, you know, a, an intellectual young man. I mean, a, a student there at the university. And I stood there, and I said, my name's Preacher Seaton. I said, I'm from Calvary Baptist Church. And I said, I, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I said, if you was to die today, would you go to heaven? He said, why don't you take your garbage and your trash and peddle it somewhere else? I said, sir, would you please take this track? He said, take your garbage and peddle it somewhere else and slam the door just straight in my face. When I turned and walked away in my heart, I said, oh God, oh God, what a foolish man. What a foolish man. See, a lot of people say, prove it to me, prove it to me, prove it to me. I tell you what, all it, it, won't, take, it, won't, take, it won't take one atomic second. After you die lost, sinner. You die lost, it won't take one split second until you'll be a believer. You'll be a believer in the fire, roasting in the fire, in the flames of an eternal hell. But it'll be too late. It'll be too late then. There's no unbelievers in hell. They all know there's a hell. They're all experiencing it. And I want to say this, there's what I call the Baptist and the do-gooders and the church members that are on the path to hell. And I'm again, again, I'm saying like I said, like, I don't want to confuse nobody. I don't want to mislead nobody. I do not want to play with your mind and, and use psychology and try to get you twisted up and doubting your salvation that if you're saved and born again, you know it. Amen. If the blood of Jesus Christ by faith has been applied to the doorpost and limb of your heart, if you've received Christ, you know it. You know it. I'm going to tell you something else. If you're not saved, if you're not saved, you know it. Oh, we've seen people this past week and even last night, seemingly people that profess Christ getting saved. Getting saved. And I don't want to, I don't want to mislead nobody. But I've seen it happen time and time again. I've seen clean people. I've seen chaste people. I've seen virtuous people. I'm going to tell you something. My wife was as clean a young lady as anybody could have ever met. And my wife was lost. You listen to me? My mother was lost. My mother, I told that the other night. My mother got saved three, about three weeks after my dad got saved. And my mother was a clean lady. Are you listening? You can be virtuous and have morals as far as this world standard is concerned. You can have your name on a church row and you can be involved. You can be involved. And you'd be surprised how many people are trying to work their way to heaven even in the Baptist church. Trying to work their way and gain favor with God, and never, never have been converted. Never have been converted. Oh, I've seen. I remember Sister Cindy Troutman. Her name now is Miss Cindy Rahuff. Her husband, Brother Tim, pastors up there above in Wartburg, up in that section now. He's my pastor's son-in-law. Now I remember Sister Cindy. One revival there at Bays Mountain was having meeting. And I saw her come forward one night, and that night she came forward and she gave up her pants. She, she said, I'm going to, she, she gave up her pants and, and her slacks, and she said, I feel like the Lord's convicting me about this. And she gave up her slacks. But you know what? In that same meeting, that, that wasn't what God, see, she, she needed to do that, she, but she, that wasn't what the problem was. 
See, I'm going to tell you what I believe happens. I believe people get under Holy Ghost conviction about getting saved, about getting saved and born again, and they think they're saved, and so what they do, they try to lay aside another weight and another besetting sin. And some of them have even answered the call to preach and go to the mission field, and they never have been converted. Now you can cut your hair and you can cut your beard off, sir. And you ladies can let your hair grow long and dress as I mean on the floor and dress right and look right and still split hell wide open. You must be saved. I think so. Maybe so. I sure hope so, preacher. Well, I'm glad I know so. I'm like that old blind boy in John 9 who got his eyes open. They said, boy, you better give God the credit for this. This man, Jesus, he's a sinner. And that old blind boy that just got his eyes open, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, he said, I once was blind, but now I see. I know what Christ did for me, friend. I was there when it happened. I was there on the floor. I, I remember when the burden of guilt of sin lifted and the joy of God flooded my heart. And I remember, I remember, I was there. Thank God. I may lose my mind. And I may not be able to remember no more. I may lose my mind and not be able to remember even that I'm saved. But that's not going to change the record in heaven. Brother David, that'll not change the record in heaven. It's forever settled. My name's on the roll, friend. You say, I don't believe a, you say, I don't believe a Christian can lose his mind. You say, I don't believe a Christian, a Christian can get to the place where they don't know whether they're saved or not and they've lost their mind. I do. I know some. I know some in nursing homes right now. Alzheimer's has taken over their minds. They don't know their own children. They don't know their own wife. And you ask them about Jesus. They say, Jesus who? They don't know nothing about nothing. But that doesn't change the state of their salvation. Right. Oh, path to hell. Well-worn, well-trodden path. Then there's the pains of hell. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this. But there's the pains of a literal burning hell. How many of you have ever been burnt? How many of you ever burnt yourself in some way or another? Have you ever, you ever backed up to a, to a, to a wood stove? When I was a little over one, I'm glad I don't have this in my memory. I don't remember this. But mom and dad told me that this happened. They used to have the old waffle makers. Mama had that waffle maker there on the counter up there in Bearden where we used to live. This was before Jimbo. I was just a little old baby, just a little, maybe two, two and a half, three year old boy. And I was fooling around. I had her skirt tail, so she picked me up and set me down up there on the counter. She was making waffles for daddy. You pour that batter mix in there and you shut that waffle thing down. And evidently, I saw her shut it down a time or two. And when she turned her head, I put my hand in there and shut that thing down. They had to rush me to the hospital on both sides. They said my hand's just swollen up. And, and, and I, I, I'm glad I don't have that memory. I don't even remember that. But there's been some other times where I burnt myself doing things with cars and things like that. Have you ever, have you ever seen somebody that's been burned real bad? Have you ever smelt burning flesh? You ever smelt burning flesh? Oh, friend. You say, preacher, now you're trying to scare people now. I'm just talking about reality. Amen. You say, preacher, they die. That body's in the grave. That body's in the grave. I'm going to tell you something, friend. I told you the other night, hey, this is not the real me. What you see up here is not the real me. I live inside here. You hear me? I mean, you could cut my arms off, cut my nose off, pluck my eyes out, cut my legs off, cut my tongue out, and just don't let me bleed to death, and the real me would still be in here. That's right. And see, when you die, I mean, the old body's going back to dust, but that rich man, they buried him. But the Bible said, and in hell, he lift up his eyes. He could see, friend. And not only could he see in hell, he could speak in hell. And he could see in hell. He saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And not only that, he prayed in hell. He had all of his senses still in the place called hell. 
pains. Did they cry in hell? He cried and said, Abraham, have mercy on me. He cried. What the Bible said in verse number 24, he cried. I know there's a bunch today that ain't going to cry. I meet all this rough and tough crowd and, and I know Brother Jerry meets in them jails and pr- prisons and I've been with those boys and preached in those maximum security penitentiaries and I've seen double-fisted men with tattoos all over them and, and they're not going to bow their knee and they're not going to pray. I promise you one second in hell they'll become prayer warriors. You see, Luke 18.1, I believe, is actually fulfilled in hell in one sense. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You say, preacher, he prayed in hell. Don't tell me he didn't. That Bible said he prayed. and said, Father Abraham. That was, not, was that not what it said? It's what it said, friend. He said there, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He prayed. He implored. He begged. They see in hell. They cry in hell. They remember in hell. You know, I read behind Mr. Spurgeon one day Mr. Spurgeon used Luke 16, 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember. But son, remember. Mr. Spurgeon said, The horror of hell is the memory of the mind. Are you listening to me now? I read one day where this young man told an older man, said, I'll give you a hundred dollars to teach me how to remember. And that old man told that younger man, said, I'll give you double your money. I'll give you two hundred if you can teach me how to forget. So your mind's a computer, friend, second to none. And everything you've ever seen, touched, felt, heard, ever said, everything is registered in your mind. He said to that, Abraham said to that rich man, he said, you remember. Mr. Spurgeon said, the horrors of hell is the memory. The memory. Can you imagine remembering a mother's prayers? Can you imagine remembering the invitational songs that were sung? Can you imagine preachers pleading with you to get saved? And you're trying to block it out of your mind. And you're in hell. And, and you're in torment. And you're in fire. And, and you're breathing fire and fire all over you. And you're in outer darkness all at the same time. You said, how can they be a flame burn in outer darkness? They used to say the hottest flame known to man was the blue. The blue flame. But now they say there's a flame that burns black. Burns black that's hotter than any other flame. Can you imagine being put, have you ever, can you imagine being put in solitary confinement for eternity? Have you ever been alone? Have you ever been secluded? 1992, I looked this up this afternoon, I was preaching revival in Atlanta, Georgia. I was preaching there, Dr. For, for one of the doctors there, if I can remember his name, Dr. Uh, Rush, not the Rushing son-in-law there, who's pastor now, and uh, Dr. Charles, his name, not Dr. Charles Stanley, but it was another Dr. Charles, his last name skips me right now, Dr. Charles Wright, white-headed, robust man, and I was preaching revival, and I got a migraine headache and got sick, and they had to take me to the hospital, I get them sometimes so bad they have to take me to the hospital, they rushed me to the land hospital, they got me in there, and they, I, I'd, I'd been so sick, I dehydrated, and they stuck an IV in me. And that lady said, we're going to put this in you. And she said, it's going to take an hour. It's going to take an hour for this IV to run through you. And she said, you can have no water. She said, you can't drink any water with the medicine we're giving you for one hour. And she said, I'll be back to get you in an hour. And they put me in a room with a baby. They put me in a room by myself. And I laid there. I laid there. I laid there. I laid there. And I was so sick. I was so sick. And I'd lay there and I'd look at that. And it seemed like eternity. And that clock hadn't moved a minute. And then five minutes. And then ten minutes. And I tell you, about 15 minutes, I couldn't take no more. I got to holler, nurse! Nurse! I said, nurse! I'm, hey, I'm a 40-something-year-old man. That 250 pounds. I, I said, nurse! I said, please open that door. Please open that door where I can see people go by. I said, I can't take this. I can't stand this. I said, can't you just take this out? She said, we've got to put all this medicine in your preacher if you're going to get any help. Boy, that hour seemed like forever. 
When they finally let me up off that bed, I went to the water fountain and drunk all. It almost made me sick. I drank all the water I could hold. Can you imagine being in hell? Can you imagine being in solitary confinement? Can you imagine being in outer darkness, uh, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Uh, and you're falling and falling and falling. Uh, and I mean just like a piece of burning, uh, a garbage, uh, and, and falling and screaming. Uh, and people around you screaming, but you can't see nobody. Uh, no friends, no relatives. Uh, I mean just screaming. I mean, it's horrifying. I mean, it's enough to make a man lose his mind. You really get to thinking about That's where that loved one's going to go that you're thinking about and I told you to pray about, think about earlier. See, that's how, that's how come I got under such a burden I'd go 10 and 12 days without eating a bite of food. So that young man that's sitting right there that's my own flesh and blood brother. I pray and get to fasting for him. I couldn't stand the thoughts. See, he thought he was saved and I knew in my heart he wasn't but I done it. He was just like I was, and I knew it. And I used to preach to him about his hair, and I'd preach to him about his clothes and his lifestyle, and that drove us further away. One night down there in an old motel room down in Florida, the sweet Holy Ghost said, you go home and tell him you're through talking to him so much about us, and you're going to start talking more to us about him. And down there, I come home and told old Jim that. I saw him turn away, and a tear trickled down his cheek and that beard he had. I'm going to tell you something. I could almost see him. I prayed so hard. I'd pray and pray and pray. And I'd, I'd, I'd listen, we'd get up early down there, brother. I was with old brother down there at Okeechobee, Florida. Brother Darrell Weaver, we'd get up at five and four in the morning and go down to church and lay and pray. Lay and pray for revival at that church. That's about the reason I'm in the mental shape I'm in. It's about the reason my health about broke down. I mean, we'd pray, pray, pray. And I'd get to praying for others and I'd see my brother. I could almost see his face. It's like I could see his face screaming in hell. Screaming in hell. Screaming in hell. I begged God. I said, please, God, please. And I know Mama prayed. And I know Daddy prayed before Daddy died went to heaven. And I got everybody. Everybody that ever knew me before Jim got saved, I'd say, pray for my brother. Pray for my brother. Everywhere I went, I said, pray for my brother. Pray for my brother. where our loved ones are going. That's where they're going. My God, that's where they're going to spend eternity. They remember in hell. They pray in hell. He prayed for mercy. He prayed for water. You see, he prayed for mercy. He prayed and said, Father Abraham, he said, I, I pray. He said, I, I pray for mercy. Mercy. He said, have mercy, verse 24. Have Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It's too late. It's too late. So he said, if you die lost, God can't have no mercy on you then. I mean, you've gone beyond the door. You've gone beyond the point of God's mercy. No mercy. And then when he saw there was no mercy, he said, would you please just send Lazarus? Let him dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. I mean, you've seen this illustration before. They ain't but just one drop of water just fell off my finger. I mean, just one. He didn't ask for a cup of water. He didn't ask for a, 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 a full glass of water. He said, would you just let Lazarus come? Dip his finger in water. He said, cool my tongue. He said, for I'm tormenting this flame. That rich man would have given everything he ever owned or ever hoped to have owned for just one drop of water. If I could get into hell this, this afternoon, if I could get into hell tonight with just this one glass of water, I could have all the money that every rich man ever had all his life. They'd give anything for just that right there. Just, that's all. Just You say, preacher, you're preaching a horrible God. You, you, you're preaching a, a God that's unfair and that's unreasonable. Oh, no, friend. You need to go back to Calvary and see him giving his son to bleed and hang and die. And he suffered hell. He suffered your sin. He died in your place. You die without him, without Christ. God has no other option. I, I promise you, I promise you, you die without Christ, and God Almighty will put you in hell. He'll put you in hell. 
pray. Mercy, water. He prayed for a missionary if it was. He said, Abraham, would you send him? Haste, I pray thee. Verse 27, send him back to my five brothers. You see, he had five brothers. Nothing mentioned about his mother and dad. Nothing mentioned in the scripture about his mother and dad. Now his mother and dad might have been in paradise. In Abraham's bosom. But there's a good possibility his mother and dad was in hell with him. And he said, Abraham, please. He said, I'm begging you. Send Lazarus back. Send him back to my five brothers and let him tell my brothers. To let him preach to them. Let him witness to them. He didn't ask, he didn't ask Abraham to go back. He didn't ask to send Moses back. He didn't ask to send uh, uh, Jacob uh, or Isaac. And you know why I believe he asked for Lazarus? Because he knew Lazarus was real. I believe Lazarus had witnessed to him. I believe Lazarus had lived the Christian life in front of that rich man. He said, I want this man to go back. He begged and prayed for a missionary. You ever known anybody that went to hell? You ever known anybody that you really think went to hell? Sometimes I get to thinking like this. I get to thinking, God. And my mind gets to thinking on messages like this. I get to thinking, God. Are they asking me to go tell their loved ones? God, some of those boys I used to run with that died in car wrecks. And that boy come back from Vietnam and made it back and got shot in the back over that rocky hill. God, are those boys telling me to go back to those families? Pain, physical pain, the mental pain. I was preaching in Muscle Shows, Alabama, several years, several years ago, and I'll be through. I quit. I was preaching down there in a meeting, Muscle Shows, and around that part of the country, there, there's some steel mills down there where they have molted, listen, molted. I'm talking about liquid steel in vats, and they watch it, and, and that, that that stuff is liquefied like this aluminum place up here. I saw a tractor trailer pulling out the other day and it had that sign on it, hot aluminum, liquid aluminum inside that container. I was preaching a meeting down there. It's been many, many years ago. There's a man by the name of Brother Bobby came to me after service and said, Preacher, I won't tell you something that you might use across the country. I said, Brother Bobby, what is it? He began to cry. This man's about, he was about 10 years older than I was then. He began to cry. He said, My brother worked at one of the steel mills. He said, Preacher, down there, he worked as, a, as, as one of the regulators over that vat of molted lead that was in there, that molted steel. And he said there was a guardrail around that thing. And he said he had to watch the temperature gauges and make a check on it every now and then. And he said every now and then there'd be air bubbles that would get in, get somehow get inside there and it would go gabloop, gabloop. It would come up like that. Sometimes it would spit that stuff out. So they had to wear asbestos suits like. And they had to wear asbestos gloves and things and face shields. And he said, my brother, he said, was standing there one day, and unbeknown to him, he said, there was an extra large air bubble that he created underneath that molten lead. And it come up, and when it come up, and went kabloop, it blowed that stuff out. It come across his back and burned through the asbestos suit. And instead of falling forward, he said, his brother fell backwards and grabbed hold of that rail. And they said, his legs, down, I mean, his legs to the knees went down in there. And they come and grabbed him and got him out. He was still conscious. He never lost consciousness. And it melted all the flesh off of his legs. Melted it off. And he never lost consciousness. And that stuff would hit him in the back. Some of it fell across up through here. They had him wrapped up in the hospital. He said, I went to see my brother. And he said, my brother never did go into a coma or nothing, preacher. He just died. But before he died, he told me. He said, Bobby, and Bobby was a preacher. He said, Bobby, he said, you go across the country. He said, you tell sinners if hell is any worse than this, they sure don't want to go. And you know what the truth is? What that man experienced, as horrifying as that was, that's not even beginning to compare to what hell is like. I heard Attorney David Gibbs. Y'all support him. CLA, Attorney David Gibbs. I heard him give this testimony. This happened in Cleveland, Tennessee. Several years ago, there was some young kids having a party. They were having a beer party, night party. And what one of them did there evidently in, in the uh, science class, they had made, come up with a little potion-like stuff, a little stuff that they could pour in the water. When it hit that water, it'd go, it'd go, it'd make that water just kind of blow up like. 
when he'd pour a little that in, it'd just make that water jump out like that, just blow up like So this boy snuck some of it out of the school. He took it to that party that night, and they was drinking and smoking dope and getting high. And he said, come in here and watch. Come in here and watch. And he had got him in the restroom. He lifted the commode seat and got down there, and he poured a little bit in that thing. And they said, boy, they just laughed. They said, man. They said, man. And he, he, and he went to do it again. He tripped. And when he tripped this time, he's in a drunken stupor. He poured, poured every bit of it down in there. Dr. Attorney David Gibbs said it blowed all that water out and it blowed that stuff out on his face. And he was screaming. He was on fire. He was burning. And they couldn't, they didn't know what to do. And then what they did, so they got wet towels and began to pour water on him. And the water made it burn worse. And he was burning and screaming. And when they got him to the hospital, evidently, when they, Dr. Attorney David Gibbs said that the, the emergency room doctor began to fillet the skin off his face, began to take it and fillet it off. He knew what it was. They had, they couldn't put water on it. They couldn't touch it. They had to get that skin off his face. That boy was screaming, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. It's the proof of hell, the path to hell, pains of hell, prayers of hell. They go on, there's a perpetuality of hell. The duration is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's the people in hell. Last of all, I close. There was a prize paid to the sinners out of hell. I want to tell you, and I mean this, I'm trying to preach from my heart. I'm trying to warn, I don't like to preach like this no more. I don't even like to preach on hell. I don't like to preach judgment. I don't like to get under this kind of a strain, this kind of load. I don't even like to think about things like this. But as a man of God, I've got to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And I've got to warn my own family and my own self, and I've got to warn you and your loved ones there's going to be And the price was paid at Calvary to keep sinners out. You don't have to go. You don't have to go. I'm telling you, Jesus took your sins and made them his very own. He, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in and through Him. And you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. Now, I want to spare our heads. I appreciate you coming tonight. I know some of you might have came expecting another kind of message. You might have come expecting something else, but I felt like this is what God laid on my heart. And if for nobody else, God has spoke to me all day long and reminded me the people around me and the people I come in contact with that are not saved, if they don't get saved, they're going to die and go to hell. I want our sister to come and play softly. We'll not tarry long. We'll not wear you out in the invitation. I promise you. But I just I just want to give way for, for the Holy Ghost to do what He wants to do in this invitation. Now, I don't know who's saved and who's lost. I, I don't know the condition of anybody in here except myself. I know your testimony. But you know, you know where you stand with God tonight. You know if you're saved or not. You know. There may be somebody that's been attending this meeting and God's been pulling at your heartstrings. God's been trying to get you to realize you've never been saved. Please don't let the devil continue to blind you and take you to hell. And there's some of us, no doubt, Maybe you need to just get in the altar and pray for a greater burden. Ask God for the for an extra extra burden for the lost in these last days. I, I know, and I'm not just trying to see how many people we can get and come to the altar. And I'm not preaching just to get you to move like that. But everybody in here has probably got loved ones. I, I know some of you personally. You've asked me to pray for your children, your daughters, and your sons, family members. Hell's a reality. Hell is a reality. People are praying all across the building. I'm going to ask one more question. While these are praying, our heads are bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's anybody in this service who slip up your hand and say, Preacher Seaton, I'm not saved. Preacher Seaton, I am not saved. If I die tonight, Preacher, if you preach the truth, if that Bible is true, if I die tonight, I go to hell. Pray for me, Preacher. Pray for me. Is there anyone here like that?
anyone at all. Preach your pray for me. I'm lost. Our Father, our God tonight.